the preface of northern trails book two this is the librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by melissa jean northern trails book two by william j long preface the reader who follows these trails will find them leading into a new country a land of space and silence where it is good to be away up among the mountains and woods and salmon rivers and mossy barren grounds of labrador and newfoundland there he will find himself face to face with new animals white wolf fisher salmon wild goose polar bear and a score of others big and little that stop their silent hunting to look at the intruder curiously and without fear in his turn he will lay aside his gun and his thoughts of killing for a moment and watch these animals with his heart as well as his eyes wide open trying to see without prejudices just what things they are doing and then to understand if possible why and how they do them why for instance the big arctic wolf spares the bull caribou that attacks him wantonly why the wild goose has no fear at home why the baby seals are white at birth how the salmon climb the falls which they cannot jump and why they hasten back to the sea when they are hurt how the whale speaks without a voice and what makes the fisher confuse his trail or leave beside it a tempting bait for you when you are following him all these and twenty more curious things are waiting to be seen and understood at the end of the trail the reader who has not followed such trails before will ask at once how many of these things are true every smallest incident recorded here is as true as careful and accurate observation can make it in most of the following chapters as well as in all previous volumes will be found the direct results of my own experience among animals and in the few cases where as stated plainly in the text i have used the experience of other and wiser men i have taken the facts from first-hand and accurate observers and have then sifted them carefully so as to retain only those that are in my own mind without a question as to their truth in the long story of Wayeeses the white wolf for example in which for the greater interest i have put the separate facts into a more or less connected biography every incident in this wolf's life from his grasshopper hunting to the cunning caribou chase and from the den in the rocks to the meeting of wolf and children on the storm-swept barrens is minutely true to fact and is based squarely upon my own observation and that of my indians in one case only the story of copsey the salmon i have ventured to make an exception to this rule of absolute accuracy for years i have followed and watched the salmon from the sea to the head-springs of his own river and back again to the sea and all that part of his story is entirely true to fact but beyond the breakers and beneath the tide no man has ever followed or seen him i was obliged therefore either to admit that part of his life or to picture it as best i could from imagination and the records of the salmon hatcheries and deep-sea trawlers of course for the story's sake i chose the latter course and this part of the record has little value beyond a purely literary one it is a guess at possible truth and not like the rest of the book a record of careful observation if the reader finds himself often wondering at the courage or gentleness of intelligence of these free folk of the wilderness that need not trouble or puzzle him for an instant he is not giving human treats to the beasts but is simply finding as all do find who watch animals closely many things which awaken a sympathetic response in his own heart and which he understands more or less clearly in precisely the same way that he understands himself and his own children it is not choice but necessity which leads us to this way of looking at animals and of trying to understand them if we had a developed animal psychology based upon the assumption that life in one creature is essentially different from life in another and that the intelligence in a wolf's head for instance 
is of a radically different kind from the same intelligence and the head of some other animal with two legs instead of four then we might use our knowledge to understand what we see upon these trails but there is no such psychology and the assumption itself is a groundless one nature is of one piece and consistent throughout the drop is like the ocean though it bears no ships on its bosom the tear on a child's cheek breaks the light into glorious colour as does the rainbow on the spray of niagara and the law that holds the mountains fast sleeps in the heart of every grain of sand on the seashore when we wish to measure the interstellar spaces we seek no new celestial unit but apply confidently our own yardstick and the chemistry that analyzes a baby's food serves equally well for the satellites of jupiter this is but an analogy to be sure but it serves to guide us in the realm of conscious life which also seems of one piece and under one law inspired writers of every age have sought to comprehend even gods and angels by the same human intelligence as they applied to the ants and the connies and for some reason that they possessed but one measure of life love and hate fear and courage joy and grief pain and pleasure want and satisfaction these things which make so large a part of life are found in animals as well as men differing much in degree but not at all in kind from the same feelings in our own hearts and we must measure them if we are to understand them at all by a common standard to call a thing intelligence in one creature and reflex action in another or so to speak of the same thing as love or kindness in one and blind impulse in the other is to be blinder ourselves than the impulse which is supposed to govern animals until therefore we have some new chemistry that will ignore atoms and atomic law and some new psychology that ignores animal intelligence altogether or regards it as under a radically different law from our own we must apply that what we know of ourselves and our own motives to the smaller and weaker lives that are in some distant way akin to our own to cover our own blindness and lack of observation we often make a mystery and hocus-pocus of animal life by using the word instinct to cover it all as if instinct were the mysterious and exclusive possession of the animals and not a common heritage which we share with them in large measure it is an unmeaning word at best for no one has told us except in the vaguest way what instinct is or has set the limit where instinct ends and conscious intelligence begins or has shown how far the primary instincts of a child differ from those of any other animal on the other hand one who watches animals closely and sympathetically must judge from what he sees that the motives which govern an animal's actions are often very much like our own the difference being that the animal's motive is more simple and natural than ours and that among the higher orders the greater part of an animal's life playing working seeking food making dens outwitting other animals avoiding traps and enemies is not directed by a blind instinct but by a very wide awake intelligence and this intelligence begins by the use of native powers and is strengthened by their daily occupation is encouraged and developed by the mother's training and example as she leads her little ones into the world and is perfected by the animal's own experience which he remembers in the face of new problems precisely as we do a wild animal's life may indeed be far below ours but he lives much in that pleasant borderland between thought and feeling where we so often find ourselves in quiet moments and there is no earthly need to make a mystery of him by talking vaguely of instinct since so much of his life corresponds to our own and becomes intelligible to us the moment we lay aside our prejudice or hostility and watch him with a patient and friendly interest i make no claim whatever that animals reason or think or feel as men and women do i have watched them too long for that 
and sitting beside the beaver's village in the still twilight of the wilderness i find enough to occupy eyes and mind without making any comparison with the unquiet cities of men far away but here before me is a life to be understood before it can be described a life not an automaton with its own joys and fears its own problems and its own intelligence and the only conceivable way for me to understand it is to put myself on a moment in its place and lay upon it the measure of the only life of which i have any direct knowledge or understanding which is my own and this far from being visionary or hypersensitive as the makers of mechanical natural history would have us believe is the only rational indeed the only possible way of understanding any animal action so whether one looks for the facts of animal life or for the motives which govern it the reader may follow these trails as i first followed them with the idea of seeing with his own eyes and understanding with his own heart he will see many things that he does not understand and so will listen with respect to noel and old tama who for fifty seasons and more have lived close to the wood folk and he will find at the end of every trail a real animal as true to life as i am able to see and describe after many years of watching in the wilderness william j long stamford connecticut january nineteen o five end of preface